Hello and welcome to Dissecting a Frog, a podcast about writing, performing and producing comedy. It's hosted by me, Luke Morris. Uh, this week we talked to Grace Jarvis. Uh, now, a meteoric rise, that tends to mean that something has come out of the blue and gained a lot of attention all of a sudden. But Grace uh, has been gigging in Queensland, and we discussed that, and working on material for many years in different ways without always knowing she was doing it. So the attention that she's got mm, recently <laughs> from promos- promoters and producers and uh, myself, I've booked her for some gigs, um, it's all earned. It's all work that she deserves because of the work that she's put in, um, even if you haven't seen it all in front of you it's there so um i don't think grace fully appreciates that at the moment she she does sort of dismiss a little bit of some of the some of the work she's put in but i think she's done great stuff and she's she's even been working with laura davis as a director and uh, laura is um uh, amazing comedian has has got some great accolades herself so i think that the chat we have about laura davis as a director is really interesting as an insight to working with other people and putting that idea of the isolated solo stand-up comedian into a a better fiction because it it, it should be. The the best comedy always comes from, well, not just listening to the audience feedback but um, uh, getting feedback from peers and people you respect and that's what Grace has done with Laura. So we'll talk about that. Uh, if you like this kind of learning thing, please do support uh, the podcast. Support Comedy Victoria, which uh, supports this. Um, we, we're here aiming to take the, the stress off the solo comedian in many ways with this kind of education thing and, and lots of information on the newsletter that we send out as well. You can get all of that st- stuff for free. Become a member of Comedy Victoria. Just go to comedyvictoria.com.au and follow at Comedy Vic. Um, also, please do follow Grace Jarvis. Uh, she's on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, Grace Jarvis, oh no, is the handle to use there. I'll put that in the, uh, the, the the podcast link so you can connect straight to Grace there. And you can also, uh, from uh, Instagram and probably Twitter, you can find how to get onto her Edinburgh Fringe show at the Underbelly that's coming up, which is called This is the Last Goldfish I Am Going to Eat for You. And if that kind of sentence is the kind of thing you like to to hear as in the world of comedy, let's jump into the interview with Grace Jarvis and dissect the frog of working with other people on comedy with Grace Jarvis. I was going to ask this. I wasn't going to ask this as a question for you, as a, as an opening question. So I'm either going to leave this opening question in or out. So, <laughs> so but I, in doing my research, I heard something that said, uh, "Grace Jarvis is the daughter of three generations of Kiwi veterans." And then I read somewhere else that it's a military family, and I thought Kiwi veterans was referring to comedy industry veterans. <laughs> And then I, I, then I read I that wish. other part and I was like, oh, I've got so much I can ask her about, about what her family has taught her in comedy. 
No, no. My family is almost stressed out by the fact that they don't know anything about comedy. My mom is always like, I wish I knew how to help you. I'm like, it's okay. It's it's not your fault. I've chosen the worst career. Um, no, yeah, I'm from actual veterans, like military veterans. Yes. Um, yeah. My great granddad, he was at Gallipoli uh, with the New Zealand army. And then my uh, granddad was a prisoner of war during the second world war. Um, and then my dad is an army pilot. My granddad was also a, a pilot and my dad is a, is a helicopter pilot. Uh, he went to Iraq and East Timor and New Guinea. Um, yeah. <laughs> my, I have a bit about this on stage where I'm like, my family crest is just a big red flashing sign that says post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> we jump if you slam the door. I shouldn't, I shouldn't really laugh at that, but that's the, I suppose you, no, that's, that's what that's you want. That's the that's joke. <laughs> But that's interesting. Wrong. I, I, I love that you, your mum wants to support you in that. She, her, her major concern about you uh, going into comedy is she hasn't got a way to advice to give. If, if it was something to do with gunshots and things like that, then my. Well, be- she's a librarian. So oh. I think if, if I'd gone into government, she would have had more to help me with. And if I'd gone into um, the military, or which my dad would have been horrified if I'd gone into the military, but if I'd gone into aviation, my dad would would know what to do with me um but both of them are just sort of lost um at the prospect of an arts career but they are incredibly supportive like the most supportive parents in comedy truly like it's it's bizarre they they came to my show in melbourne like six times and they bought a (laughs) ticket each time and they were like oh i liked that it changed like they were giving me notes like on like how it had changed between like sometimes people like do you change your show when your parents are in and i'm like I can't. They they come too often. Like it's not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> like I just I just do the show how I always do it. People are like, your parents are in. Are you gonna do the joke about the ketamine? And I'm like, yeah, man. They know about. Like they know everything. <laughs> it's I don't I don't lie. So they and I tell I talk to them all the time. So like they basically already know all my jokes. Uh, but they gave they've given you some notes. So did they did they come back at any point and say, see that note worked or sorry yeah, I gave you I, that note? <laughs> a couple of times. My dad is sort of like, you should say this here and then it'll tie back into this and I do it. And then he's like, Yeah, see it worked. And I'm like, You're right, it did work. Well done. <laughs> they're good. They're they're actually um quite because I'm like a verbal processor. So sometimes I call my parents up to just be like, is this like I just like start talking and then yeah. I'm like oh that's my point okay thank you <laughs> like I just needed someone to bounce off for a second of like what am I what am I talking about here and they're like I don't know what are you talking about and then I talk about it for long enough they're like oh so you're think your point is kind of this and I'm like oh yeah that is my point right now I just need the punchline to line up with my point <laughs> um so yeah they are incredibly supportive and also like they're so supportive of all my friends as well like if you and my direct, like my director, Laura Davis, they went to her show and then they went to her husband's show. And then they went to like, you, you get in my corner and my parents get in your corner. It's, it's very cute. That's great. Yeah. Um, but I, I love that you, you so your visual, your verbal processor. Mm. I find that personally with writing that a, a lot of the best material comes when you actually start bounce, talking about it. You can sit there and write things out as much as you can. 
But is that a conscious effort for you? If, if since you say that you're aware of that, is it a conscious effort for you to take something you've written or any sort of idea that you might have and make sure you do talk to maybe not your parents but definitely somebody? Yeah, you... I spend a lot. Of, I spend a lot of time beating myself up, like in uni and school and stuff, about how I couldn't just like figure out what I was talking about on paper until I like called someone or talked to someone and I was like, oh right, that's what I'm talking about. Like sometimes when I'm like stuck on stuff. Like a couple of times my mom has done this for me where I'm like, she's like, I'm just going to start typing. You talk, I'll start typing. And then yeah. I, and then she's like, here's your, here's what you were telling me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now I have a paragraph I can work with. Cause like something so daunting about an empty page that just makes me <laughs> not do it at all. Like terif- something terrifying about an empty word document, like Calibri body font is a nightmare. And it's just like, there's nothing, but then, you know, you have a paragraph and suddenly you have something to work with and you're like oh okay now I can do this and it's like this the idea was already in your head it's just I couldn't put it on a paper I couldn't put it straight to paper there needed to be a verbal step so yeah I do I call I call a lot of people on the phone just to be like is this a is this a good I like is this a good bit what am I talking about what's my point like what I'm thinking about this and then I like get to the end of the conversation and be like oh okay now I you know this is the punchline I'm looking for type of thing um, which, you know, a lot of my friends are also comedians. So um, that's, we just do that for each other all the time. <laughs> just call each other up and be like, is this fine? And you're like, I think so. You're like, awesome. Okay. Bye. Um, Rohan Gandhi used to just call me on the phone to be like, I've got this bit. And I'm like, yep, hit me. And then he'd say the bit. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's <laughs> so good. Not, Hello. How are you? What no, you- no. Just like, I have a, I'm like, yeah, yeah tell me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I think that's good. And like, we'd sort of bounce it off each other and then be like, okay, bye. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great but it must be very that's odd though as a writer to just be afraid of the page and have to talk things out i suppose uh, it leads to sort of question of how much do you think that what you do is actually written out and how much of it becomes just dot points and you well until laura davis started directing me yeah. i pretty much didn't write anything out because it was yeah. all just like in my head but that led to incredible amounts of stress because I just had no proof that I had anything until I like <laughs> got on stage like I would get on stage and I would have material but it was like there's no proof that I have enough for an hour until you write it down and you're like oh wait I have way more than an hour and like yeah. so when she started needing to look at it because she was my director so there needs to be something on the page for her to like fuck with yeah. like I was like okay so it's kind of not I'm trying to make it more of a habit because I am just sort of like a dot point, like scribble a thing and then say it next time I'm on stage. And um, I think that has like kept me well for like a lot of like, you know, my career up until this point, but it does, um, you know, you can, there's a different kind of like there's stuff you think of on the fly and there's stuff you like can verbally process. And then there's stuff where it's like, Oh, this is, you know I've written this out and I can tell where the funny beats are it's like I think I have a combination of of two of you know those systems I think my problem is remembering to use both (laughs) instead of just um not writing anything down or only writing down tweets and then like I came out of lockdown and I was like I haven't written anything this whole time and everyone's like you've been tweeting constantly and I'm like (laughs) 
yeah, that's not writing. And they're like, yeah, it is. You wrote it down. Like it's proof of, per- like it's proof of concept. You, that's a joke. I'm like, oh, right. So I think I have just quite a s- stagnant view of what like writing is. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do, or it feels like you have to sit down and write on the page. Whereas like having the idea, thinking of the idea, talking about the idea with people, like doing tweets about it, like writing little notes, like doing it on stage, like that's all writing. You know, um, even though it's not like, it's not like a like a cartoon of if you googled clip art writer, it's not what that would look like. But it's you know, I think it is still all writing. It'd be somebody up in their garret at a desk with an oil lamp and yeah, and a feather probably. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, in a trench coat or some sort of yeah, yeah, uh, huddled to keep warm. Yeah, but that's interesting that. so with all that writing that you did with, with Twitter and things, did you did you use all those short? Because they're what are they like four hundred characters now or something? They used to be about two hundred, but they're, they're yeah. small. But did you go back to them and try and assemble A of them? The other night, I was just sick of all my own material, and I was just like, how? Like, I just was like, I'm just going to say a bunch of these tweets. Um on stage and see if they get a laugh and I was like oh yeah they're all they're all jokes I've (laughs) like of course they do like I've written them um I did it sort of like a it was like kind of it's easier like some of them are like I don't really do like one-liners I guess well you don't that's why I was thought it was yeah you refer to that but but I think once you have a sort of a collection of like thoughts I like the other night I was like talking about like being I'm 25. It's a nightmare. I'm in a, you know, decade of emotional and real estate based saw traps, like, and then sort of just like a collect, like I sort of just was talking about like being young and not knowing what I'm doing. And then I had several tweets from over the past year or so that like fit into that theme that then, (laughs) you know, filled out that, that time of me being on stage um so they weren't like super smooth segues but they were sort of like okay that's a joke I could expand on that I could um yeah it is just sort of like almost just prompts of like what am I talking about um and it's like well this is a feeling I clearly had when I tweeted this so what does that feeling look like in a larger set and to a larger audience of people with different life experiences and stuff like like I had a joke where I was like I you know I'm 25 it's a nightmare I the other night I got stoned before I had a shower to do the to see if I could do the curly girl method on hard mode um which I was like that's I think that's a really funny line but if you don't know what the curly girl method is it's it doesn't really make any sense. Like it's funny. It's still a kind it's of a funny a, oh, line. But... I laughed. I don't. I, I don't really know what it is, but I'm sort of trying to piece together in my brain what I would it's... think the curly girl method. <laughs> you is. like clump your hair up while it's wet so that it dries in nicer curls. Like you yeah. put like gel and like cream on it, and so it's like a whole process. Um. So like the people with curly hair all knew, and then the rest of the crowd, if they didn't know, they still kind of laughed because it was a funny line. Or they didn't. But then I'm like, if I was putting this in a larger set or in a show, I could reference earlier, like explain what the curly girl method is as part of a different joke and then have that line, like, be funny for everyone because everyone knows what it is. Um, So, yeah, that kind of stuff you sort of have to um, think about in terms of larger 
chunks of time as opposed to like seven minute sets <laughs> where yeah. it's just like I'm just saying the line to see what happens yeah. <laughs> this is but just that, data this is research but that's interesting that you've you've already put that sort of thought together as to the difference between taking just a, a, a treat and see how you can expand on that as an idea of other ideas you've got and then whether or not that fits within a five seven minute routine or how to approach it into a yeah uh, it's almost uh, like I've written a bunch of my own writing prompts that I should go back to and be like oh what's what could I say that's more than this and sometimes you can't it's just that tweet <laughs> um but like a, a few I've, I've been looking at a couple of things recently where I'm like oh I could talk more about that 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 could be a um a punchline in a longer bit or like that could be like the start of a bit about this specific thing because it's sort of like I felt this way about this thing at this time. And now if my joke, if my like longer bit is about feeling that way, I can include that joke and this joke and this joke that all relates to that, you know? Um, yeah. It's kind of, you're almost spoilt at a certain point of like, oh, I've got lots of punchlines. I can <laughs> drop some of these. Like I can, <laughs> or I can do them better now, you know? Um, I love Twitter. I'm sad it's dying. <laughs> Uh, well, I didn't know it was dying. Isn't it still? I thought it was quite strong and healthy. Well, it's good. It, like Elon Musk bought it and like fired everyone, yes. and now the app kind of doesn't work, uh, and there's no way to like the like reporting system is not working, and you can only look at a certain amount of tweets every day. And like, I still use it. Like, I'm still all my Twitter friends are still going strong, type of thing. But the casual user is like, oh, Twitter is dead. And did, I'm like, I'm still on there. I like did, it. <laughs> did you get on there for any writing or comedy purpose? Yeah, I actually got on Twitter. It's like kind of the reason I started doing comedy because I um, I moved to Brisbane from uh, Toowoomba, which is where I went to high school, for um, for uni. So I moved to Brisbane to go to uni. And my first year of uni, I just like didn't make any friends, like just <laughs> – nothing like I you know everyone wanted to be drunk and I was 18 and so everyone only wanted to drink and I was like I don't really drink mm. and I'm I'm chronically ill so like I can't you know how like 18 year olds I think they're invincible and they basically are and I was like I know I'm not <laughs> like <laughs> I have been in the hospital a lot in my short life I am fully aware of my mortality if I get any more relaxed I will sprain my ankle just walking over there like I can't I can't just get you know let the vapors of tequila carry me home type of thing um so I couldn't really you know I didn't really relate to a lot of what people were doing so I couldn't I didn't really make any friends um and then I got on Twitter to just be like you know, try and see what was meet people or like, you know, try and, you know, it was just another app. You and um, in your, your network. In my, yeah, exactly. And um, I followed a bunch of like writers from Brisbane and stuff. And one of them was this guy who had been doing comedy like a little bit. He, I think he'd only started like eight months before me, um, but I followed him and he followed me back and he was like, tweeting about doing an open mic at like 4 p.m. on a Sunday. And I was like, I replied and I was like, oh, the perfect hour for comedy. And he was like, you should come down. And I like came down and um, was like, oh, I'm 18. I don't want to drink, but I can get into bars, which means this is where comedy is. And I always loved stand-up. Like I 
watched like the gala and the uplate sets and all the ABC stuff in my regional, uh, you know, programming of like, um, that was like my access to comedy. Like people talk about like American comics and British comics. And I'm like, I don't know them because I wasn't really allowed to watch TV. Like I, my parents sort of forgot uh, to introduce me to a bunch of media. And because my dad's dad was a prisoner of war in the second world war. So I'm like generationally dislocated. Like my dad's references are really old. So my references are really old. <laughs> so I, I like, I never saw the Simpsons. Like I come from an army family. The only Simpson I know has a donkey. It was like a whole, <laughs> you know, so my, but my, you know, my access to comedy was what was on the ABC. So all my favorite comedians were Australians and New Zealanders. And cause I've got Kiwi parents and and so like when I started comedy it was like I met all my heroes within like the first two years it was crazy I was like these people are just very accessible um but yeah I, I went down and I was like oh I could I could do this and I like went back to Toowoomba and my dad actually helped me write my first ever set and then I like went down the next weekend and, and did my first set at 4 p.m on a Sunday the sun was still out there was no, the crowd was almost exclusively other comedians and I was like this is it. I want to do this forever. <laughs> like just the worst gig ever. And I was like, I'm hooked. This is it. This is my life. And yeah. And then I made friends. So it was like success, you know, <laughs> the point, you know, of di downloading Twitter achieved. Had, had you already been writing? I mean, it, it's to say that that's, you were in an environment that you loved because obviously there's a theater aspect to it and all that kind of thing. Was that, were you yeah. already interested in that side of things? Yeah, I was doing, I was studying at uni creative writing yeah. and drama. Um, I wanted to, most of high school, I wanted to be in musical theatre. Um, I, I was a, I was a singer and I always like that, and a dancer. And I thought, I was like, that's, I wanted to be in musicals. And I still love musicals, but I, I auditioned for the conservatorium uh, my last year of school and they were like, I got through the final round and they were like, mm, come back when your voice is a bit older. And I was like, cool. I actually don't want this. I don't <laughs> want to hang out with these people ever. Like I love musicals, but the people who love musicals are often just so frustrating. So I was like, I am actually changing my mind on what the dream is here. I don't know what it is anymore. They're but frustrating because of their this. standards, their, their intensity, their, their love yeah, of Yeah, very intense, very... very the world revolves around me very okay. competitive in very passive aggressive ways where it's like we all support each other and it's like you hate me I can't <laughs> don't do this to me and I didn't know I was autistic at the time but I now know that I'm autistic and I'm like I I can see your face you're you're you I don't know what it is but your tone is not matching up with how you actually feel about me there's something I can't put my finger on it but it's um, so yeah, I, I was doing creative writing and drama at, uh, at uni and cause I'd written a, um, a play for my, um, local theater in my last year of school. And I won an award from the Queensland theater company for it. And I was realizing how much better I liked being in charge of the jokes because yeah. like when it's someone else's script, you have to like do their jokes and I would be like oh it's not good so what like when I was like writing them I was like oh this is really funny this is really good and then the actors would like fuck with my script and I'd be like hey say it how I wrote it like <laughs> I I wrote the jokes you're not good at jokes 
Um, so it was kind of like I loved being in control of the story but I didn't like that I wasn't in control of how it was performed so when I started doing comedy I was like oh this is perfect this is exactly what I want I'm in control of the story and how it's performed and like who hears it and like it's so much it's like people make fun of shows about getting diagnosed with ADHD because like just every comic has it basically i'm always shocked when you don't have it um but because it's like of course of course all comics have dopamine deficiencies that's why we do this it's like the perfect (laughs) craft for instant gratification because you write a joke you get on stage you say it and you get feedback immediately whereas when you're like writing when you're writing and like trying to get published or trying to submit you have to wait for rejections and it's like there's no instant gratification yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) to wait for rejections or acceptances but there's no instant and like auditions and stuff it's just like trying and trying and trying and getting rejected or like waiting for someone to even tell you if you did a good job whereas comedy it's sort of like I know whether or not I did a good job because yeah. people laughed. Yeah. It's so good for a brain that's dopamine deficient. Like, yeah. I mean, it's bad industry wise, but the actual craft of it is, um, it's like, of course, of course, people with ADHD flock to this industry. Of course. Like it doesn't require, um, a huge amount of like waiting around. You just, you can just get on stage tonight, you know? I think I think Danny McGinley described it as uh, that uh, stand up and boxing are the two jobs where you know whether or not you're doing your job well. Yeah. Quite quickly. Immediately. Yeah. 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 It's not like a builder where it's like, well, the house looks sturdy. Let's find <laughs> out. Like, stand up. Like, paid. Oh, I'll walk away. I'll yeah. walk away. Yeah, exactly. Stand up. It's like, oh, that joke is not doing well. You know, yeah. like that's clear and obvious. Yeah. Um. One thing you you mentioned in that no the writing a narrative, I think that's a good segue into writing your shows because you you were talking about um, uh, taking things from Twitter and expanding upon those. But you wrote an actual pl- you, well, an actual play. You wrote a, a play at at school. Do you do you try and put a narrative into? I, I to be honest, I've only at this stage only seen you do. Sets. Five, ten sets. I haven't. Yeah, seen... yeah. Sorry, mate. I haven't managed to. Get no, no. <laughs> it's fair enough. It's far away. Um, no, I. Uh, yeah, I do. Kind of. I'm, I'm getting better at it, especially since I've had a director to like look at it because it is the scariest part. Is just like having a hunk of text and being like, how do I make it connect? Like it, that's the hard part because yeah. just having an hour worth of jokes is like fairly easy, but like making it. So last year my show was about um, um, getting my appendix out and my um, rabbit. I I, um, I moved down here from Queensland right in time for the pandemic and because my flatmate and I were from Queensland, we'd never seen a rabbit before, so we we freaked out. The, the comedy festival got cancelled. We bought a rabbit. Like we were just like, I don't know what As to do. do. Yeah. yeah, so she hates us like she's just like a very furious roommate she got lost (laughs) and then she got lost again and then she broke her leg and now she's got three legs so it was like a whole thing with this rabbit so that was kind of the arc and it was sort of attached to me talking about getting an emergency appendectomy during the pandemic and like I I have medical PTSD and like military like veteran history and stuff so like that was all kind of like I was trying to make that work 
and it was I, it was okay. I did a better job this year because someone was like looking at it of like yeah. when, what does this connect to type of thing? But it does, um, I do like try and have a, if not necessarily an arc, at least thematic, a thematic thread you can follow. Yeah. Um, and so this year's show was about getting diagnosed with autism and like struggling to make friends as a kid and like being queer in country Queensland and like the ways in which we tell kids to be themselves and we don't mean it (laughs) like I'm like you can tell me that that all you want but your actions kind of keep proving that you don't actually want that because I've I've never not been myself I've actually never had another option (laughs) like you you were pretty you've been very comfortable calling me a very weird kid for most of my life um and then you know getting diagnosed with autism referring to you as a no no not my parents my parents never thought I was weird like that was the other that was sort of part of the show is like my parents loved me so much they didn't notice I was um odd in any way also because they're like well we didn't know that was strange for a kid to do because we did that when we were kids and I'm like yeah it's genetic (laughs) (laughs) you both have it odd ducks keep interbreeding um but yeah so it is like if not I do love, I used to watch, like, I think Tom Ballard had a couple of shows when I was a teenager that I was like, oh, that's so clever of like one story kind of over an hour. Yeah. yeah. And I haven't so much done something like that um, yet, but my shows are sort of more patchworky of like, you see how this connects to this, even though they're different stories, but they're about the same feelings and about the same, you know, feeling isolated and alone and weird and, you know, and portrayals of that in media and stuff like that so I guess yeah I think that's kind of the skill of the craft that's harder than necessarily just making people laugh it's like because like in a club setting and stuff it's like you just you know just do your jokes make people laugh but in a festival setting I'm really trying to make it like a like a show you know um I I love that you say that because I did make a note saying because you said just writing jokes is easy and obviously it's not easy easy no, it's no. easy <laughs> enough but you know so why and I was going to say not that I disagree with you because I agree with you entirely why would you try and make a narrative and it's like you well said, you don't have harder. to like there's it's... so many shows where I'm like that was so funny I laughed the whole time like yeah. I love I love it you know there's a sort of a depends what your style is and what yeah. your um goal is but i think there's something um special about being able to prove your writing is good not just on a joke by joke basis but on a narrative basis it's almost a different set of skills um which i'm like want to be um showcased when i do stuff i guess um yeah, because my play I wrote was like based on um, Shakespeare, so I it, it was never like a narrative I had to pull out of thin air. Um, but it is, you know, it's all it's similar to just being like, okay, so you have to hit these beats, and then build the show around that. Like, what what am I trying to say? What are my points? Okay, as long as I hit those points, um, then the rest of the show just needs to, um allow for that kind of thing yeah 
So anyone who might be listening, hopefully heaps of people, how do you define, what do you define by a narrative? What makes it a narrative as opposed to just jokes? I know we're talking about a story that fits in there, but, you know, anybody could just write a story, but what makes it a narrative that has draws your attention? My favourite kinds of shows and what I'm, I think, trying to do is like, shows where you're just in the room laughing, 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 and then you walk out and you go, oh, that was all connected. Like it's almost so subtle that you don't notice until the end that it's pulled all together. Um, Like I think that is so (laughs) You mean the big reveal that, oh, this whole time she was talking about a rabbit, but it was actually herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rabbit (laughs) was an analogy for her own gout. Literally... And probably less on the nose than that, more so just like, oh, right, I understand now why she she told us that funny story at the beginning and it was a funny story. And then by the end I knew why she told me that funny story because it yeah. applies to what she's talking about, like stuff like that. Whereas I saw um, Abby Howell's show in Edinburgh last year and she's a New Zealand comic. She just won the Billy T this year. Um, she's so good. And it was she did it so well. And so, and like, I sometimes I'm like, cause I think about comedy all the time and I watch it all the time. I'm like, some of those tricks have kind of been ruined for me. Like when I was a teenager and my parents would like take me to comedy festival shows, I would just sit there and be like, Oh my God, they're so clever. Like, and now some stuff where I'm like, Oh, okay. I see why you've brought that up. I see how you've done that. Like it, you know, kind of ruins the magic a little, but not so much because I like love the magic, but um, I love to know how it works kind of thing. But her show was like, she was um, talking about women in comedy from history who had been um, mistreated or, you know, she's talking about like Joan Rivers and like this particular jester that was beheaded for, for being a woman and speaking out in the 1500s and like sort of like a historical timeline of women in comedy who had like struggles to come up against and I sort of was like well these are fun like and she had fun stories about like you know she has a such an interesting performance style that you're just like charmed by everything she's saying and then I didn't really realize why she was bringing them up but I was like I love you I'll listen to you talk about anything and then at the end she talks about the reason she quit comedy in her early 20s was because she was um sexually harassed by an MC oh no, the headliner on a, on a gig she was on and it made her just feel so awful that she just didn't want to do it anymore and she quit for seven years and then she was she came back and this was what the show was about, was like womanhood and comedy and positions of power and stuff and it was like I'd been having such a good time and then she started talking about this story and I was like, oh, no, I know what's going to happen. Like, I, like I've like i had that story. Every woman in comedy has had that story. Like, I, oh God, I know exactly what's going to happen now. Like, was like almost holding the hand of the other female comedian sitting next to me. Like, oh, yeah. no, I know how this story goes. I haven't heard this story before, but I know how this story goes. Yeah. And it was like such a, it was such a, ta- it was such a clever, like, A to B show. I was just like floored by how I didn't see any of the connecting pieces until it was over. And I was like, ah, oh, that's so clever. Like that stuff is my favorite 
kind of writing stuff where you're like, oh, I didn't even know you were being so smart until the end. <laughs> and now, oh, you're so good. Um, so, yeah, I love, I love that sort of stuff. I also love like watching shows where it's like one story goes over a whole show, but I've never been able to draw one out that long. I'm always like, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Punchline, punchline, punchline. Okay, next story. Like I've never, it's not, um, it's not a skill I, I necessarily have yet, I guess. Or maybe I just don't have the right story for it. But um, it is cool to see how the different versions of narrative comedy are even different from each other. And then there's different versions of other styles of comedy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Some of that, well, from my experience, some of that's from just bumbling along and you, you realise that this suddenly it's like, a, 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 I want to think of a good analogy, putting blocks inside of um, the, you know, you can put the triangle in the, in the square and the, in the, in the uh, opening, but you're doing it with your eyes closed. Yeah. And you just sort of suddenly it goes, Oh, that bit fits really well in that spot. Yeah, literally. Oh, and if I move this over here, that works perfectly. And then you get them all in the in the cube. And sometimes and like, you have oh. jokes where you're like, oh, I really want this in the show, but it doesn't, I don't know why, yeah. and I don't know what it connects to. And then suddenly you're like, oh, that's why, because it fits into that and that and that. Yeah. And it's like that's the, you know, in the triangle in the right hole type of thing. And you're like, yes. <laughs> Did you get much of that? I, I do want to talk about, uh, working with Laura Davis because um, uh, I I really really like Laura Davis's work. Me too. Um, let's let's go with that because you've got an, actually a great history of doing shows. But let's rather than go back to what you've learned, I suppose it's all connected. What you've learned in doing the shows from uh, you've worked in Adelaide and Brisbane and uh, Tasmania and Melbourne. What did you learn? with Laura though about you said that you gave her a script so let, let's start with the starting point of working with a director was the first thing she wanted your script so that she could look at it or no the first thing she wanted was just like a slush pile of like every idea kind of thing uh, um so you had just like you didn't already have a show idea of what you wanted to do you just said hey can we team up and, and she said yeah she saw me my everything. she saw my show last year and my first show and she was like can I direct you next year and I was like yes please um and so then sort of end of last year we start she was like what like what do you want to talk about like what are your what's in your slush pile what jokes do you want to be in there it, it sort of starts with just like what are your what good jokes do you like at the moment like what needs what's going in kind of thing and then it's sort of like and now what how does that connect and she's so good at I want to make this point what's my punchline Whereas I have always historically been like, here's my joke, here's my punchline, where does it fit in? And she's so good at being like, fuck that, don't be funny. What's your point? And then we can make it a joke. And I was like, oh, that is so cool and clever and harder. It's hard? harder. I mean, yeah. Um, at the moment I'm trying to write a joke about something I care about, but each time I attack it I just think I'm so passionate about this I can't see anything funny in it. Yeah. So that's a great, yeah. I have a couple of stuff like that where it's like, I'm right, but I'm not being funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm right. I think it's a good point, a good argument, but it needs punchlines. Um, and sometimes that means, yeah, it doesn't go in because it's too, too passionate. But I think that's a better problem to have yeah. than no passion. You know, I think it's it's easier to work with 
too much passion than it is to work with, um, you know, apathy. Um, I think a lot of comics who just sort of throw shit at the wall to be like, you guys want to hear about this? Where it's like, do you care though? Like, do you, like, what do you think about this? Like, do you care about it enough to talk about it with enough tact to do this? Like, I worry sometimes because like, specifically boys like when they start like young like 18 like 18 19 20 I started when I was 18 but like I didn't I only I've only recently stopped doing exclusively autobiographical jokes like I'm sort of dipping my toe into like societal observational stuff because I've always been so afraid of someone telling me I was wrong or wanting to argue with me about something that I've always just like well you can't argue with me because this happened to me like this isn't you, you, you can't deny that this happened to me because it just happened to me. Whereas, whereas making sweeping um, generalizations about the state of the world, people sort of um, can get into it with you. And that always terrified me. Um, but I worry with like young boys, particularly they start and they think they have to like make jokes about like hot topics in the news type of thing. Like we got like 19 year old boys turning up talking about trans issues. And I'm like, Oh my God, like you are not skilled enough. Let You do not have the nuance of the situation, let alone the actual like They've lost a lot of YouTube videos about yeah, people. Like, you're not equipped to do this, man. Like tell me a funny story that happened to you. Like yeah. what, do you, you get up to anything on the weekend? Like please. <laughs> Start with that stuff. Start with that. <laughs> like this is like I, I and like lots of people, like lots of comics are skilled enough to make like, you know, observations about um you know political issues that they're not necessarily attached to and i wouldn't you know i think that's i think it's good for people who are not necessarily of specific minorities to speak out about issues of you know because it makes it less of an isolating thing but if you're just talking out of your ass about something that doesn't affect you and you haven't thought about it and you're not that good at this yet like (laughs) wow the audience is doesn't trust you <laughs> like we are stressed um please tell me something funny you did at soccer i cannot <laughs> i cannot hear about your opinions on like oil you know or like housing you know, crisis right yeah, yeah you know at least the housing crisis might actually affect you like you know st- yeah st- 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 you know sexual assault hmm. statistics and stuff where I'm like, oh! <laughs> Do you think that's because... Come on, was- man. <laughs> give give me something so that I know you're an okay guy <laughs> before you get into this. <laughs> is, is that because they have all these, I guess, idols that they look at and there's a lot of there's a lot of blokes in stand-up? Right? I think so. I think a lot of, yeah, when you start, you sort of, a lot of people kind of not necessarily steal, but sort of like, you know, perform someone else's style a little bit before you sort of understand what your own style is, which I think is part of it. Um, I did a lot of stuff when I was 18 where I was like talking, like I had some jokes about sex where I was like looking back, I'm like, you have, you barely had sex at all. Like you're, you're acting like you know what you're talking about. You don't like you. I still don't. I feel very weird about making sex jokes now because I'm like, I 
I have no expertise in this area. Um, so like at the time I was sort of just, you, you sort of just are like confidently crass, I think, because it does get a reaction and it's not necessarily clever writing, but it is like a joke. Um, whereas I think to evolve, you kind of have to examine what you're actually talking about and why a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think it is like a lot of people like, yeah, a lot of very famous comedians kind of are talking um, about the big issues and sort of sometimes people think that that's what comedy is a lot of the time. Yeah. And I'm like, it is, a, it is like, it is totally a lot of the time, but like, it's also just funny stuff that happened and like weird, wacky, you know, clowny stuff. Like you don't actually have to dive straight in on the hard hitting issues of again, who's like, I'm you're copying a man who I don't trust his opinion on this either. So, like, <laughs> I, at least he knows how to hold the microphone. Like, you're <laughs> you're like 20 steps behind, and it's a spicy topic, you know? Like, um, so yeah, it is a it's the wild west, I guess, <laughs> which is what I love about stand up as, as an art form in the first place, is just that. Anyone can do it. Uh, yes. Yeah, no, sorry. I, was, I just had flashbacks to a gig where you, you sometimes you give the microphones to people and then they say stuff and you think, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, everyone can do it. It doesn't mean that they're good at it. Yeah, I learned that lesson in Brisbane because I, when I first started, I was just very friendly to everyone and then I quickly learned my lesson. Just, just be a little bit more reserved with the friendship until you see the person set. Just uh, check yeah. <laughs> that they're not going to start yelling the N-word uh, on stage before you are overly polite. Because uh, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, great, oh, chat and chat and chat. Yeah. And then they do their set and I'd be like, oh, I am pulling back. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, easier just to just to wait it out. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll step back because we're technically running out of time. I'm sure we could talk all day about this stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I really could, but I don't want to hold up the whole day. Um, let's go back to talking with uh, Laura Davis um, and what you said about uh, she's really good at you giving the idea and the things you want to talk about and then trying to find a punchline. Was there any – did anything like that make it into the show? Was there any tips where you, you, you found ways to get that punchline? Was it just – uh tragedy plus time equaled a final way to find what the joke was or I guess I usually had the punchline um and then she would say oh you could add a second one there like you could double down on that joke or you could flip it um over so that you say um what you're talking about and then say your joke and as opposed to saying your joke and then being like, and that's about this. Where uh -huh. it, so you you give the audience more of a chance to have like a run of laughing if you say, this is what I'm talking about. Here are my jokes about that. Yeah, okay. Like um, structure, just she's very, very good at structure. She's so, so good at it. Like you've yeah. seen her shows. She's, yeah, yeah. she's, she's a genius. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she yeah, she's just very good at just like holding your hand and being like, You you're close, you're close. And then you find it and, and she's like, Yeah, that. And I'm like, oh God, yes, of course. Like 
Ah, uh, that's brilliant because that's terrific teaching. That's better than someone's just giving it to you. You you find yeah. you have to make the brain connections yourself. Truly, yeah, it is. She's yeah, genuinely a very good teacher, um, which I think um, is not necessarily a skill every comic or every director has in the same way. Where it, yeah, it she yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, she does do a lot of like you're so close you're so close like (laughs) you can find it you can find it and I'm like oh I found it I found it I found it um it's it's a very cool thing when those like yeah blocks slot into the right holes um I'm already like thinking about ideas for next year's show and she's like you still have to do Edinburgh and I'm like yeah yeah I know Uh, she's like you you could you could fix your show for Edinburgh and I'm like yeah but I've got all I got big ideas like (laughs) I'm sick of this one now I still have to do a whole month of it (laughs) do you think you changed the show much though from the well I I would imagine that from the very first time you perform it all the way through to Edinburgh you're still sort of refining it in a way yeah it's changed a lot um, cause I did Melbourne comedy festival. I did Sydney comedy festival. I did New Zealand comedy festival. Um, so there was just stuff that would just come up or like stuff that I'd written and then it wouldn't get the laugh in the room. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. I need to change that, um, to something else or like stuff where I was like, I don't know if this will get a laugh in the room. And it did. And then I was like, Oh, I could like actually expand that into a couple of laughs. Um, and I think also like, it's the same thing of like saying your show every night, really helps you realize what your point is um and like there's a couple of scaffolding bits that I just I'm like I can take that out now because I have a more succinct way of telling you my point um because I just needed those scaffolding before I sort of properly knew what it was um and now yeah some of it can go out and then some of it I like changed some of the references in New Zealand and did a couple of New Zealand you know growing up with Kiwi parents jokes and like um changed my cold chisel joke to a dave dobbin joke like um (laughs) so like stuff like that and for edinburgh too i'm like you know sort of have to um adapt it a little bit for your audience and then yeah it does like change there's so much stuff which is like you say something in the moment and you're like oh that's good that's staying in actually and i can lose this piece that was uh, not necessarily a bad joke but wasn't actually like filling a role kind of thing um that you don't really notice that until you're saying it and you're like especially stuff where I'm like oh I forgot that three nights in a row it can probably leave (laughs) like it didn't affect the show that I forgot that bit so it's 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 done um yeah it's an interesting thing someone um uh I heard a writer say that they wrote their film from scratch five uh five times I think it was actually ten times Mm. but they and for me, I just imagine that being a horrible thing because writing a, a script is quite hard um, and takes a lot of time. But they said that the more they did it, the more they just things they forgot, they left out. Yeah, and and, like, it, and you refine the jokes. I imagine too of like, oh, the, the sixth time I wrote it, the punchline was better than the first time I wrote it. Yeah, yeah. And um, when you say structure with law, that's just out of interest. You just referring to um, uh, how to re- how to arrange the jokes in order, or was it to do with that narrative? I suppose that's the same question. Both, yeah. yeah. It's co- sort of a combination. I always get stressed again by like an empty document. So she's like, just put stuff in it, and then we yeah. can move it around. Like there just there just has to be stuff we can move. 
Have you ever tried um, the, 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 the technique of having um, the post-it notes and you just put them on the wall and then you just move post-it notes around? I don't know what it is about it. It doesn't work for me because it's almost like because the joke, like you have to sort of write one joke on a post-it note yeah. and then you can move the jokes around. But what needs to be refined in my stuff more so is the between like the connective tissue kind of stuff so it's kind of hard to look at it where it's just like penis joke and you're like but how does that start again and what do I say (laughs) first and what am I talking about beforehand that could lead into that like I I find it easier to be in sort of text um now initially I, I I did sort of just like put them all on index cards and be like this is the show, like my first time. Um, and now I'm like, oh, I see why. I see why you write it down. <laughs> Just to make sure that this actually does connect to this. Because at a certain point if, with the sticky notes, you can sort of be like this, 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 this. And then you realize, oh, those two sticky notes actually can be gone entirely because that goes into that. But then now what you know, I don't, I'm not so much into the sticky notes. I understand the purpose, but it, I always, <laughs> it at least people. looks like you're doing something. That's yeah. what's fun about it. Oh, no. Oh, man. It's you go into a comedian's, you yeah. go into a comedian's bedroom and they've got sticky notes up and I'm like, oh, yes, you're yeah. writing. I get yeah. it. <laughs> They're from five years ago. Yeah, yeah. That's... I haven't taken them down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I've got three questions. Let's finish off with three questions for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, last one in working with Laura. Um, directing just sounds like it's someone who's going to tell you where to stand and move. Um, and obviously we've talked a lot about the, the writing influence, but was there anything, any tips about being on stage and presenting the material? Yeah, she did. Um, in New Zealand, I um, she was like, here's my – tips on like she was just pointing out stuff that I had never noticed that I did where I think because I started when I was 18 and in Queensland at like a lot of rough gigs I sort of put on this persona of like I'm just sweet and anxious and you don't have to worry about me and 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 everything's fine like I'm just just sort of shaking and trembling and I'm not a threat to you um and so she would just be like you don't need to do that anymore like your jokes are good just say them like they're good like she says like sometimes you laugh at your own jokes because you're worried that the audience won't laugh at them and it's like that makes them insecure just just say them and oh, wait really? for laughter I thought and you I was sort of like, did that on purpose as a way like because some comedians do do that as a shine post kind of way and, and endear themselves with the audience early on and I think I <laughs> thought I was doing it on purpose and then <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not even noticing that I'm doing that. Like, um, and I, she was like, you do this thing where you breathe out through your nose into the microphone and it blows the speakers. So people think you're not done talking. So they don't laugh. And then you freak out because they haven't laughed. So you just go into the next thing and you're rushing them. And I was like, wow, yeah, I had never noticed that I was doing wow. it. And now I look at videos of myself and I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, wow. I do that all the time. <laughs> it's just breathing into the microphone. It is frustrating. So it was, yeah, a couple of stuff like that where I was like, that's so helpful to just have someone exam, like someone observe you from an outsider's perspective because you really can't see yourself a lot of the time I really don't know what I'm putting out there until someone was like 
this is what it looks like. And I was like, oh, okay, I can fix that. I sort of like cried. someone who can pick it up and pick those little details up because well, exactly. that breathing into the microphone causes a sound barrier for the audience to stop them from laughing. And you notice all the best comedians leave that little break because that does give the cue for the audience to know where they're part of the routine is yeah and I think I spent so many years just insecure about my own writing that I was like I couldn't I didn't assume that they were going to laugh so it was like next punchline like you know just speed of light type of stuff um and yeah and she yeah she was like you've got your you know 18 year old you 18 year old you is still trying to protect you from like fucking rough gold coast crowds and she doesn't need to do that anymore you can Aww. you can put her in the front row. She can just watch. And I was like crying in a cafe. Like That's so sweet. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, just, I like eighteen you can... year old you trying to look after the older you. I know. <laughs> She's like, you, you can just talk to eighteen year old you and say, you, I don't need you anymore. You did a good job. You've kept me safe, but I can do it by myself now. We need and to I was just up. like <laughs> crying. <laughs> There's a spot for you in the front row. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah, stuff like that is actually it is like I guess comedy directing is more of like dramaturgy sort of stuff but yeah even just like stage presency stuff and like holding the microphone and stuff because I've got a weak wrist too so I think I used to sort of ham up the the tremble yeah on the on the hand because it was like I don't want it to look like it's an accident or I don't want it to look like I don't know so I would just do it more on purpose and now it's like well you're not doing that anxious character anymore really like you're you're you you know you're not you don't need them to think you're terrified for them to think you're funny (laughs) so like yeah just even like stuff like that that I just had not noticed that I hadn't changed since I was a teenager um that's that's really interesting mm -hmm. Uh, no that's that's cool um uh second last question uh as I said, Brisbane Comedy Festival, Adelaide Fringe, Tasmania Fringe at the End of the World, Melbourne Comedy Festival, you went to Sydney Comedy Festival, New Zealand Comedy Festival. Uh, is there any one of those that, that those gigs, you've, those festivals and fringes that you've been to that you'd pick any, any of those out as something you'd recommend other people do, either on the way up or... Uh, and, and any tips for any of those that I mean be... all of them you sort of learn something at all of them but also it's like what you can afford like it's expensive to do yeah. fringe at the edge of the world was actually really fun it was like February or January 2020 yeah. I'm not um, 100% sure it's still going I don't think it is I yeah. think it was the last year yeah. I think it was maybe like the second and last year but it was really fun because it was like they had a volunteer system. So someone picked you up from the airport and then you were, I was billeted at someone's house. Um, so you didn't pay, I didn't have to pay a comm. Oh, um, wow. So stuff like that is like, if you can do it cheap, you know, like it's easier. And I'm lucky because my dad's and my dad is a, a military man. So everywhere I go, he's like, Oh, you can stay on so-and-so's Somebody couch. You can stay on, there's always someone I can stay with pretty much everywhere. So I, um, and like Brisbane, I have relatives and friends and aunt and New Zealand. I don't pay for a com cause I've got aunties and cousins and all my dad's friends from the army and, um, Sydney, I stay with other comedians. Like, so if you can, af- if you can afford it, like it's, it's just 
like festival venue I can sort of can swing it so I just pay festival fees and flights which makes it easier um but they're all like you know you learn something from different like a different audiences like even just like I did the whole month of Melbourne and then I went and did two nights in Sydney and there were just a couple of jokes that like Sydney really liked way more than Melbourne liked and I was like oh that's so weird and interesting like it is just like a different environment in a different kind of crowd um in in a lot of ways and it is just like cool to like meet people I think you just get better doing it more and in different places and having to adapt um if you get really good at like just making a specific demographic laugh you're not getting better necessarily at the whole thing so it is like scary to just like go around be like do you like me here (laughs) and they're like no and I'm like okay I can adapt (laughs) I can change um I do the comedy store and they're like um we're all in corporate uh jobs and I'm like cool cool you don't want to hear about um autism or uh the whimsy of uh (laughs) You think fantasy novels? I I guess sometimes I go to those gigs and I find like the dirtiest comedian succeeds in some of the nicest establishments because they want that release. I suppose you can't can't always bet on that. You do have to listen to what the audience likes, I guess. Sometimes a juxtaposition is fun. Yeah. I have a joke at the moment where I'm like, like club gigs, other comedians are always like, just go dirty. Like they love blue, like just do sex gear. And I'm like, not when I do it, I look like I've never had sex before. (laughs) People start, I start talking about getting fucked. Everyone's like, oh, sweetie, what happened? (laughs) Like it's not, (laughs) people do not find it fun. (laughs) Um, But that kind of has led in, like I say that, and then I can kind of do dirty stuff because I have like addressed why you sort of make them laugh at something they didn't realize they were thinking and then you can sort of be like and now i'm going to do the thing i said i wasn't yeah, going to do i was going to say there's some of, some of the your dress sense sometimes make you look like a a disney princess that's a yeah, horrible yeah it's unfortunate yeah yeah I, i'm glad you recognize what i'm saying because anyone who hasn't met you and hears me say that <laughs> about you probably i look like, i dress like i'm but, in a poorly costumed period piece yeah. um and then the image of and now i'm going to do dirty talk is like, well exactly oh, well no, it's we, like we, we, we prefer yeah, disney not doing that you're wearing so much <laughs> gingham why yeah it's unfortunate because like the dress people like see you I think particularly for women, it's like because women get criticised for their looks, their appearance, their outfits, and men just get comments on their comedy. Like it's not, it doesn't come up for men. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it becomes like my friend Lou Wall got reviewed this year and they mentioned their height like a bunch. Like they always talk about how tall they are and it's like, yeah, they know. Like, it's not part of it. Like, it's, <laughs> they're not. The show is not it was about great routines, it. But I had to look up to see them. Yeah, it's like, what are you? Why are you bringing this up? If it was a tall guy, you wouldn't mention it. Like, and so it is like people come out. Like, I come out dressed however I'm dressed, and there's this immediate assumption that it's kind of part of it, or that it's a costume, or like it's involved in the show. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, 
this is not part of it. This is very, I just dress like this. Like these are my clothes. I can't like, I don't like trousers. When I first started comedy, people would like ask me if I was making a political statement by wearing a dress on stage. And I'd be like, no, I just don't own pants. Like I just, (laughs) I like dresses. I wear them every day. Why would I change that for this? Like, you know, I don't, I, don't, I refuse to masculinize myself for this environment just because you would feel more comfortable if I wasn't as outwardly feminine. Like, so it is. It's funny though, because there's there's a there's plenty of comedians who think that the idea you get on stage, you have to almost immediately look like you're going to be funny. I'm trying to think of someone's name and I can't remember their name. Oh, Milton Jones mm. has messes up his hair. And he's, he, I heard him do an interview where he talked about how he, uh, uh, he, he was doing okay, but as soon as he started to mess up his hair and have this little silly look about him, as he came on the stage, people had an immediate click, that's that character. They got into his character really quickly. Yeah, which I think the problem with me is that my uh, the character they're looking at is not uh, matching up with my yeah, jokes. Yeah. Um, which is because I'm like, they're not connected. I've not no. done this on purpose. Like these yeah. are the jokes I've written. They're fucking dark. I'm sorry, but this is the only way. Like this is, I don't know, this is my style. I just am dark while dressed like a cartoon character. <laughs> like I don't that's, know how to fix this for you. That's fine. Yeah. Mm. I just think that's that's the audience. Um, I'm trying think, not to you get do, over it. Yeah. Next year, I'm. I don't want any jokes about how I look or how I dress in the show, yeah. because I think when I first started, because when I was like growing up, no one ever commented on it because it was just yeah. that's who I am. Yeah. And so when I started in Brisbane, it was like I'm a new person, so people would comment on it because they weren't used to me being around, and it made me feel like I had to address it on stage because people were commenting on it to me and I was like oh I had never considered that this was a thing that people even noticed or saw but now I feel like I have to like get ahead of it for the audience and now I'm like no I don't it's not up for grabs it's actually not part of this it's not I you're not allowed to you know comment on the way that I dress or the way that I look in like social circles like let alone on stage it's like it's not part of it it's not um it's not up for grabs I think there's an older generation of comedy especially men who think that you can't write a joke without being mean to yourself and without immediately getting in front of the thing that you think the audience sees when they look at you and I don't want to do that anymore I don't think it's good (laughs) for your brain it's not I (laughs) I don't think it's good for your brain to constantly be trying to think of ways in which other people might criticize you (laughs) and get ahead of those things i just am like it's not part of this it's my clothes i just like clothes and i like this they're not connected good Uh, yeah that's 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 a good way to go about it last question and i was was trying to i was going to wrap up quickly but we seem to just keep getting stuck into things um the last question is the question i always ask last is why comedy of all the things that uh, you could, you, you, I know we discussed how you started off with um, uh, involved in musical theatre potentially. You, there's military background in the family. You, your mum works in the library and you talked about government, but you could have just been a writer with poetry in the library. There's other avenues, but why of I all think the that was, options, comedy? 
my initial path was like my creative writing degree. Like I was like, I want, like, I think I was going to write fiction and plays and things like that. Um, I think I like having control. I think that yeah. comedy is like, in some ways there are like gatekeepers and people in charge of stuff that you want, but like in a lot of ways, if you're just good at it, like, and I like, it depends. Cause like I, people say that like men, white men say that of like, if you're good, you're good. And it's like, well, no, because women come on stage and, and people of color come on stage and we start at negative 10 trust and we work our way up to zero and you come on stage and you start at 10 and spend your whole set losing them. So like it's, <laughs> we have a different, we have Been a different, that. Anyway. Ex- yeah, we have a different experience. <laughs> We have a different experience of this as a as a an art form because um of misogyny and racism and homophobia but um in in a, in a in some ways it is just sort of like you can do it like tonight you want to do comedy tonight you can you can yeah. turn up you can sign up you're on you're you're doing stand-up you're in control you've written your jokes you're in control of how they're performed like it's there's no waiting around to see if somebody wants you or I mean there is at a certain level like you know there is it's still that but it is like with publishing you and yourself to a, a festival in Brisbane or Adelaide or something and then well yeah Brisbane go. you can't because they you they you have to have management we always used to joke that we would yeah. be allowed to be in the Brisbane Comedy Festival when we moved away from Brisbane. Um, <laughs> but it turns out you also have to have uh, management. So, um, but, you know, there are some things. But, like, Melbourne and Adelaide, you can just do a show, you know, like you can just pay and, you know, and then there's money, you know. So it is, like, it's not a free-for-all, but, like, no. y- you know, you can just decide to do comedy. And it's, and it's kind of cool. And, like, I you know, when I write jokes for other people or when I write sketches or play like jokes in, in plays and stuff, I would always just be like, oh, you're not, you're not doing it how I would do it. Like, you know, I'm a little control freak. And so when I started doing this where it was like, I'm in control of the writing, the performance, when I do it, how I do it, what it's called, like the pictures, like the marketing, like in some ways it's terrifying and awful, but I think it is why I got into it. <laughs> it's cause like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the only person I sort of have to answer to. Um, and if the audience is laughing, then you're doing a good job. Like there's no sense of having to appease any form of gatekeeper or know the right, know the editor of whatever magazine you want to be in or, um, you know, have be able to even get an audition. Because, um, you know, auditioning is one thing having anyone know about you enough for you to have an audition is the hard part. Um, so yeah, it is kind of, it's just, it's all you up there, which is the scary part because there's no character to hide behind or there's no, someone else wrote this script. I'm working with the best I have. Like, it's like, you wrote it. (laughs) I wrote this and this is who I am. So it is like, if they don't like you, they don't like you. Um, but it is, and I also think socially, like I, I didn't make any friends until I started comedy. Like I started comedy when I was 18. I The only friends I've made as an adult have been comedians. Like 
it's given me a very warped perception of the world, if I'm honest, but um, they are also like people who whose brains work like mine a lot of the time, you know? And that was so incredible, especially when I first started, was just like, oh, here's where you all are. I've been looking for you. My mom told me I'd find you at university and they were not there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, guys, yeah. I'm, 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 this is going to be my outro moment. Uh, I'm glad we found you, Grace. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks for being, I'm glad too. Thanks for being on. <laughs> that was another good episode. Thank you for listening to Dissecting a Frog, presented by Comedy Victoria. To support this podcast and hear about upcoming gigs and opportunities, become a member visit the website comedyvictoria.com.au and follow on social media at Comedy Vic. You can track down myself, Luke Morris, at Luke Morris Ha, but please don't take all this comedy talk too seriously because as EB and Catherine Wright wrote, humour can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process. <laughs>